wise to trust God because he sees what Saul has done. Saul doesn't spend time with God. Saul's got the lingo down. And anytime he trusted in anything, and David learned this in his life just recently in the last few chapters, that anytime he trusted in anything other than God, it just led to frustration and futility. So God's now turning up the thermostat on David, and we see this. Look at verse 8. And it says, And then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. Anytime you trust in anything other than God, it will always lead to barrenness and frustration. The Bible says we should trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding, in all our ways acknowledging Him, and He will direct our paths. Pastor Mark will be encouraging us to be more like David and look to Saul's example as one to never follow. Saul, in his self-centered frenzy, continued to pursue and hunt David down because he wanted to control his own fate rather than trusting God. David, on the other hand, desired God's will to be done and remained faithful to him even while being hunted. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 22 with today's edition of Come Alive. Psalm 40 tells us, you see that David has learned that the battles of God that God had called him to fight are those things, those ones he had success in. And it was because he had inquired of God. He had spent time with God. And sometimes I think if we spend more time with God and away from the television shows and away from Facebook, not that any of those things are really bad in and of themselves unless you're just watching bad shows and hanging out on bad Facebook pages. But, I mean, if you really think about it, if we spent more time just kind of dialed into God and, and reading our Bibles as well, but spending some real good time in prayer asking God, we'd probably have a little more success in those battles that we're fighting in. And so every time he finds success, every time David finds success... He finds greater success in trusting in the Lord. And that comes through praying. So he looks on at Saul, the enemy, his adversary, and realizes that it's wise to trust God because he sees what Saul has done. Saul doesn't spend time with God. Saul's got the lingo down. And anytime he trusted in anything, and David learned this in his life just recently in the last few chapters, that anytime he trusted in anything other than God, it just led to frustration and futility. So God's now turning up the thermostat on David, and we see this. Look at verse 8, and it says, And then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. And when David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. And then David said, O Lord God of Israel, here we see him again tapping into his power source. O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Question one. Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Question two. O Lord of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. David asks two questions and he gets an answer. It says the Lord will come down. Verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 12. And then David said, Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will deliver you 
So David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go. Then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, so he halted the expedition. So again, Keilah is that walled city. Saul thinks David was trapped, and he mistakenly assumes that God's handing David over to him. And so Saul's men think they were going to go fight the Philistines. And see, Saul probably told his guys, hey, we're going to go fight the Philistines, not telling them they're going to fight David because some of them probably wouldn't have gone. But, but that wasn't Saul's plan. And again, you see David inquire of God by way of the ephod. And so he finds out that the people he rescued, the ones that he went to go protect, the ones he went and fought for, were now going to hand him over to his enemy, to Saul. And so I wish there was a, a weird thing that... We could say, and this only happens here in the Bible, but it doesn't. It's going to happen in your life. Sometimes, you know, you're going to be there for someone. You're going to kind of rescue them. You're going to be that person that stands in the gap with them, and you're standing in the trenches with them, and all of a sudden they're going to pack up, and they're just going to throw you to the wolves maybe. They, they might talk about you. They may betray you. They may say stuff to other people, and you don't hear about it, and it's not a big deal if you do or not, but they're, they're kind of being very, well kind of like the enemy. You, you wouldn't think that they were. And they do this stuff, and they're going to betray you. And I wish I could tell you that all the people you help will always appreciate everything you do for them, and they're going to love you, and they're going to be your best buddy for the rest of your lives. But that wouldn't be true at all. It'd be more untrue than true. See, it's the people we care about most sometimes that hurt us the greatest. So now David's on the run again. David's on the run. He goes in, and you got to think, he goes in, his men help these people, and they could easily be like, what in the world? Why did we even help these people if they were going to just toss us out? But that, see, that's, that's not the attitude we need to have. See, it's the same attitude Jesus had. Jesus came to earth willing to, to love and die on a cross and be open and love you so much and know that, you know what, people are going to reject him. But he still came even though some rejected. Some will reject. Some will betray. Others, man, they'll stick with it. Others will kind of stick with it, but not wholeheartedly. Others will just kind of follow along in the background and just kind of watch to see what happens and move in and out as, you know, it's fitting for them and if it's easy enough for them. But see, God sees tragedy and danger and hardship. He sees it in our lives. And so why is David on the run again? Well, again, like I said, the temperature gets turned up and God acts like a little bit of a buffer in the lives of every one of his children, especially the ones that he loves. And when you think about that, he, we see that example in Exodus 14, 19 through 20. In Exodus 14, 19 through 20, you don't have to turn there. You can just write it down in your notes if you take notes. But if you remember, the Egyptians are after the children of Israel. And God is a pillar of light for them. And the Egyptians are surrounded in darkness. We see that. There's a cloud that goes before the children of Israel that acts as a light. And then there's a cloud that goes behind them that puts the the Egyptians in darkness. And God says, don't worry. I'm going to take care of you. I am going to grow you. And this is part of it. I know what you can and you cannot handle. Right? So don't have a cow when you help someone and they turn their back on you. Don't get utterly disgusted and go to your friends and complain and milk it for all it's worth. You guys didn't get any of that, did you? Anyway, forget it. Once again, you know, I just try to sneak those things in there, but it just doesn't work. Verse 14, we'll move on. And David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness, and he remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day. But God didn't deliver him into his hand. Do any of you ever feel like the enemy's after you every day, just chomping 
I mean, sometimes I'm like, man, did he just chew off my back pockets? Because that's how close he gets. We see that sometimes every day, every single day, but yet God is still with David. Ziph means refining place. I find it amazing about these names that Ziph means it's a place for refining, and it's a place for David to be refined at too. In the refining process, a smelter, he's the guy who kind of melts the metals, he heats ore or gold or silver or whatever metal it is, he heats it up so hot so all the impurities start to float to the top and then eventually they're burned away. The smelter knows the process is complete, and the way he knows it's complete is when he looks over the the big cauldron and he can see his reflection clearly. And so one of those things, he looks into that pot and he sees his own face, and so God allows this heat to be cranked up and to burn off the impurities in David's life, and he also does it for you and I. He allows the heat to be turned up in our lives so much so that we're just like, oh man, and we might be in a place like Ziff, a refining place. And then all of a sudden, you know what? The flame goes down. Once he sees his face, he turns it off. And it's the same thing for us. Does God, when God looks at you, does he see himself? Or does he see more of me or more of you? What's he see more of? Not not a literal physical feature of him, but does he see himself? Does he see love? Does he see, see compassion? Does he see care? Does he see someone who wants to have a relationship with him? And so God says, hey, you know, I just want to turn up the heat so you can look more like me to those out there who don't look anything like me so they can say, wow, what is it about you? What is it about you? See, God's showing David favor. Saul can't touch him, so why is he running from place to place? Because every place David finds himself in, he finds his relationship growing stronger with God. And sometimes that's like us. Every time we have to get up and move and the Lord says, move from this thing, he says, hey, I'm just growing you stronger in my relationship with you. And so every psalm we read was penned out of pain on a path that led him to understand God. Every psalm you read, you might look at those psalms and go, man, I wish I could write. You know, you would be able to write like that. Just stay tuned into God. Just look at those trials and those tribulations in chapter 2 of Revelation through 3, and you look at all those other churches, every church has a, but I have this against you, except for two. The two that don't have it are churches that went through severe suffering and tribulation. And you could say, well, are you saying those are perfect churches? Exactly, that's what I'm saying. The perfect church suffers. The perfect Christian doesn't have life going well for them, and there's no problems. Uh, that's not the perfect Christian. You, you might be that church that has everything good and you've left your first love, but he's standing at the door and knocking. Jesus might be outside of your life because you won't let him in to go in there and help you burn away some of this junk of you. And, and it's hard for us to do that. And so again, in every psalm that was penned out of pain on a path that led him to understand God. The pains and trials and tribulations we had in our past are all part of God's providence. So what in your life can God, and how can God see himself in you? Does he see himself in you? Look at verse 15. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. And then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose, went to David in the woods, and strengthened his hand in God. And so here again, God sent Jonathan to David. And what do we see here is in Jonathan, is he feeling sorry for David? Going, oh, bro, man, I'm sorry this is happening to you. My dad's such a bummer. I mean, I can't believe he's doing this to you. You were such a good guy to him. You really helped him out with the whole Goliath situation. And, man, you're probably one of the best musicians we ever heard and we've ever had in the palace. And, man, it's just, we got this one clown that just can't, ah, man, it's horrible. No, he didn't say that. 
He goes out there and he, he says something to David. He strengthens David. And so we need people who will strengthen our hands in God. And so he strengthens David's hand in God. He says, just trust in God. You know, Jonathan, Saul, son of Rose, went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said in verse 17 to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went into his own house. Jonathan goes back to the Cush life because he has to, and David stays out in the woods. He's got to continue to camp. And when we look for sympathy sometimes, sometimes God says, that's not what you need. You don't need sympathy. What you need is a true friend to come alongside you and strengthen your hand and say, hey, bro, snap out of it. Here's this verse that talks about snapping out of it. Here's a verse that you can do because I can't change you. And so this week I had a friend that said, hey, I got this problem. I said, really, man, that's cool. Here's some verses. Check them out. That's all I can do for you. I can't fix you. I'm not, it's not something where I can give you a pill or medicine. I can just give you these verses. And that now becomes between you and God. But I love you enough to continue to pray for you and pray that these things work themselves out in your life. Look at verse 19. And then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah saying, Is David not hiding with us in strongholds and in the woods in the hill of Hekalah, which is, the, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. Well, here again, David's hanging out, he's hiding, he's hoping and praying that he's safe, yet here's some more people that want to just turn him over. It may seem like just everybody's against you, even people you don't know. And look at verse 21, and Saul said, Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. Isn't that funny? Once again, it's all about Saul. Remember a few weeks ago, what about me? What about me? Here it is. He says, blessed are you because you care for me. Oh, you people are so nice. Thank you. You care about me. It's all about me in Saul's life. Saul knows the language of spirituality and piety. You know any Christians like that? They just know the language, but they just know how to talk about the Lord, and they really don't know how to walk with the Lord. You know, he has nothing to compare himself to that is holy. Like Isaiah in chapter 6 where he goes in and he says, Man, I saw the Lord and holy, holy, his train filled the temple. He realizes, and he sees something as you read through that a little bit, that he realizes that he's a man of unclean lips. He has something to compare himself to. something that's, And then he talks about a people. I'm part of a people that have unclean lips. He starts to realize that, hey, I'm not all that. Compared to you, God, I, man, burn my lips with some coal. And so Saul doesn't have anything to compare himself to except for other people. And, and as far as that goes, man, just think about that. You and I are the, are the star in our own movies, in our minds. Oh, we're the greatest thing that's happened in our own minds. But when you compare yourself to God, you're kind of like, well, I'm not that great. I don't know if I would be willing to die for a lot of people for their sins. I mean, it's not my fault. Isn't there another way? And Jesus did ask if there was another way. If there's another way, let it happen. But God says no. So here we see David. He's backed up against the mountain. He's surrounded on both sides. If we continue, 22, please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is and who has seen him there. For I am told he is very crafty. See, therefore, and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty and I will go with you. And it shall be if he is in the land that I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. So they arose and they went to Ziph before Saul, but David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon and in the plain 
on the south of Jeshimon. And when Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David, therefore he went down to the rock and he stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard of that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. And then Saul went on the side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. So David made haste to get away from Saul for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. But a messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come for the Philistines have invaded the land. Therefore Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. So they called that place the Rock of Escape. So here, backed up against the mountain, surrounded on both sides by uh, Saul's men. There's no longer a way out, no longer a place to run. All of a sudden, God interrupts the enemy. God interrupts the enemy. David's probably standing there and he's going, Well, bro, uh, all my military training, the only thing we have left to do is stand and fight. Stand and fight, and we're going to give it our very best. But God didn't let David down. God didn't let David down, and Jesus has never let me down. When I look at this, I'm like, man, this is amazing, right? Sometimes I get in these places and these things in my life, and I'm like, Lord, I don't see any way out of this. This is horrible. But the Bible always tells us that his ways aren't our ways. And yet, I'm always amazed when I'm bailed out by the Lord, or something happens and pulls away. And you're just like, whoa, I didn't even think that could happen. The Lord says, of course you didn't. I'm God, and you're not. And that's a very simple thing to realize, but yet I don't think about it all the time. So I may not be able to see a way out of this low, and, and, and behold, it appears to be an open door to the grave, but yet the Lord says, no, I'm going to open another door, and I'm going to show you a way out. And so Jesus has always come through for me, and I promise if you're one of his, he'll never let you down. You may be in an area where you're like, I don't see a way out. Trust in the Lord. Just trust and go to him and pray and say, Lord, I don't see the way out. Um, you might be surrounded on both sides and backed up against a big rock. But I promise you, if you're one of his, he'll provide a way out. So without a fight, without a fight, David was delivered. And when we try to take things into our own hands, we only make things worse. We only make matters worse. Look at verse 29. And then David went up from there, and he dwelt in the strongholds of Engedi. David goes to a place called Engedi. This means uh, the place of the kid. And there's a lot of goats there. And so the goats hang out there. And I looked up in Getty on on Google, and I saw that it's a very beautiful spot in the middle of a desert. It's surrounded by the Dead Sea. It's kind of like an oasis in a barren region. And so, you know, when you think about this whole story, and you think about your whole life, and you think about the day you gave your life to Jesus Christ, the day you said, I give you control, Lord, I want to be one of yours. And we're told that, you know, he's the potter and we're the clay. We always hear that, that he is the potter and we are the clay. And so sometimes God places you on a wheel. You ever see a potter's wheel? It spins in circles. And so sometimes God places you, that big lump of dirt, clay, on that wheel, and your life is spinning. And you might feel that it's spinning out of control. Sometimes that potter has to spin that wheel a little faster to accomplish what he needs to accomplish in making that beautiful jar or that vase or whatever he's making. And you might feel that you're on that thing, and you're like, oh, it's spinning out of control. But finally, you start getting used to the spinning. You right yourself, and you're like, oh, yeah, this is it. And all of a sudden, you feel this punching, and you're like, oh, this really hurts, because he's got to mold the clay. He's got to get those air bubbles out. He's got to push. He's got to squeeze some of that stuff out of you, just so you don't crack and break in those vital moments, so you don't fall apart for no reason at all. And so God does this, but eventually, he starts to shape and make you 
into that beautiful vessel that he wants you to be. And just as all good potters, he begins to pound on you a little more and shape you a little more. But it's for the good of that finished product as he shapes and he molds you into what he needs you to be. But what is he making? What is he making when he does that with you and I? Well, I'll tell you what he's making. He's making you into something for honor. Remember a while back we talked about those things in the temple. There were things for honor, and then there are those things for dishonor. That God has those things for honor and dishonor. Well, in Gedi was a time where God had David alone in a cave, and he shaped him, and he made him into the man after his own heart for a vessel of honor. And that's what he does with you and I. You may think your life is spinning out of control. You may be feeling some beating. You may be feeling some pain. And you can be a man or woman after his own heart because you have to understand that he's just shaping you and molding you into a vessel of honor. And I think when the Lord looks at your life today and says, fill in your name, for me it would be Mark. That's my name. And he says, I have a wonderful plan for you, Mark. Trust in me. And I've got to trust in him. But sometimes it's an uphill climb, and uphill climbs aren't easy. Downhill's a lot easier. Uh, We all want the mountain peaks, but nobody wants to climb to get them. They take a little more work. Some of you may want him to remove his hands from you and they think, Lord, it's too much. The pounding, the spinning, I can't handle it all. And you knew what he was going to make out of you. If you knew what he was going to make out of you, guess what? You'd climb up onto that workbench and say, Lord, I'm ready. But that doesn't require any faith. Faith doesn't work that way. Faith trusts that God will make you his very best. And so maybe we've been running in the wrong direction. Maybe you're trying to find your own cave to hide in. And God's not leading you in that direction. Maybe you're trying to jump off that potter's wheel. And if you think about it, when David was in the cave of En Gedi, he penned uh, Psalm 23. Psalm 23, if you turn there, we can read it. But this psalm has been given to generation after generation for incredible comfort to allow him and to just to for people to see that God has allowed them comfort and so and that God is in control of every situation and so psalm 23 says the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he makes me to lie down in green pastures he leads me beside the still waters and he restores my soul and he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake yeah though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil for you are with me Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, forever. Are we able to say that and say, hey, Lord, you know what? Yeah, challenge me. I don't like challenge. It's tough. I don't like the pounding. I don't like the spinning. But, Lord, make me into that vessel of honor. Thank you for tuning in again today to Come Alive. Pastor Mark will have much more to teach us from this study of 1 Samuel when you join us next time. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mark, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search for Come Alive in your app store or on iTunes. Before our time is through with you today, though, Tracy would like to tell you how you can be a part of the ministry of Come Alive. Come Alive and radio programs like it are powerful tools that God is using to advance His gospel message here on earth. And we know that God is blessing many through the ministry of this broadcast. We want to make sure we keep God at the center of what we're doing, and that's where you come in. Would you keep Come Alive, Pastor Mark, and those who have heard this program today in your prayers? Your intercession on our behalf is greatly appreciated. 
Thanks, Tracy. Another way you can be involved is through financial support. Here at Come Alive, we rely on the kindness of donations to be able to provide you with quality produced programs. We'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider donating and want you to know that any amount is useful and greatly appreciated. Find out more at comealiveradio.com or you can text a donation to Calvary Katy at 77977. That's 77977. Thank you for bringing this matter before the Lord and thank you for being a part of our listening audience today on Come Alive.